Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual medical or mental health advice. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host. I'm Kara Carinza-Belli. I'm at Kara's Kitchen on Instagram. That's Kara with a C, Kitchen with a K. And I help people heal their relationships with food and their bodies and step into the most confident version of themselves so that they can create a life they truly love. And today we have a lovely guest with us. Her name is Emma Ecklin. And what I love about Emma and what is a little bit more unique about her is that she isn't a health coach or a dietitian or a professional in the anti-diet space, helping other people recover. Rather, she's a junior in college and she's on the tail end of coming out of having a disordered relationship with food and struggling with an eating disorder. And she's going to share with you guys her experience. And I think that it's going to be valuable because a lot of you listening are going through it right now. And Emma has her experience is very fresh and and recent. And so her her sharing of her story is probably really going to hit home and you're going to deeply resonate with it. And she walks us through what the process looked like, like what her life looked like leading up to the development of an eating disorder, what it looked like to finally realize that she was struggling. And again, what that recovery process looked like. So I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Now, before we dive in, I just want to give you guys a little bit of a life update. You may or may not have noticed I've been pretty absentee on Instagram and even on my Facebook group. If you're in the Love Your Bod Pod Facebook group, you've maybe noticed I haven't been in there a lot either. And that's partly because I have consciously chosen to take a step away and not be on Instagram as much or on social media creating as much content. My blog's been pretty quiet too, and that's been a conscious choice. Like I've mentioned, I'm going through an evolution right now and my my business is about to pivot and I'm getting reconnected to myself and what it is that I'm here to do and who it is I want to serve and really getting connected to my intuition and my higher self and really figuring out what's next for me and for Kara's Kitchen. It, it might not even be called Kara's Kitchen in the future, I'm not sure. And in order for me to really get in alignment again, I need to step away and not be taking in so much information from the outside world. Because when you're taking in information from the outside world, it's really hard to hear yourself sometimes. Sometimes you can't distinguish between like, is that just something I read online? Or is that someone else's energy or anxiety or fears that I'm picking up on? Or is that truly coming from me? And so I've been taking some time away so that I can reconnect to myself. And I think that it's a beautiful gift that you can give yourself if you are going through any type of change or transition, doesn't matter what it is, but giving yourself the space to really tune in and listen is this beautiful thing. Now that said, it was not easy for me to step away because in a lot of ways I was stepping away from a huge portion of my business. And so there was fear around like, well, if I don't continue to show up, it's just going to burn to the ground. And I'm choosing to believe that I'm supported, that I am supported through the pivot and the transition, and I'm supported through the space, and I am supported in the next evolution of whatever the business looks like. That when I come back, it's going to be bigger and better, and I'm going to be supporting people who need whatever it is my magic is morphing into. I'm also in the last phase of the cookbook writing process. Oh, dang. 
I'm in what is called the author review. So I'm actually like reviewing the manuscript, like the physical manuscript, line by line, making sure that it's ready to go to print. I've had some anxiety around it because I'm like, ah, last chance to make changes. Better make sure it's perfect. And I know nothing is perfect. And I want it to be as close to that as possible so that those of you that buy the book, the readers have the best possible experience and that you love the recipes and the directions make sense and the food is delicious. And so I'm going through that process right now. And that after that, the book gets in line to go to print. Oh, dang. So the release date is January, 2020. I will have the exact date for you guys soon. You'll be able to pre-order it. All that beautiful stuff is coming your way. And Food Body Soul started. So I'm in week two of Food Body Soul. The women are amazing. I love them. They are supporting each other already so beautifully. And even after our very first call, they had talked about how powerful it was for them to hear other women echo their experience. To be like, wow, you've gone through that. Wow, that's exactly how I'm feeling. Or I felt that way. Or I've gone through that too. And when someone can mirror back to you, your experience, reflect back to you, make you feel like you're not alone, that you're not crazy, like, wow, you've gone through this too. It's a really healing experience. It's the power of group coaching programs. And I'm so excited for this to continue to unfold. We're in week two. We're going to be together all the way until January. And I'm really excited to see the transformations that occur within the women it's a very beautiful, powerful, powerful container. So that's a little bit of a life update. And I just wanted to share that with you in case you were wondering like, where the heck is Kara? I haven't seen her on Instagram stories. So that's where I've been. Okay, let's dive into the interview with Emma Eklund. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. Today we have a lovely guest with us. Her name is Emma. And since her early teenage years, she struggled with body image and her relationship with food. As she reached college, she was diagnosed with an eating disorder. Currently, she is a junior at Wake Forest University, majoring in health and exercise science. In addition to her academic interests, she is active in a myriad of activities that center around a healthy lifestyle, including early morning yoga, new workout classes, and her loving relationship with almond butter. Emma is also passionate about wellness and individual empowerment. Just like most people her age, especially as a student in college, she still gets lost in finding time to slow down and be present with her emotions, but has found that vulnerability and reaching out to others to talk about difficult topics truly helps recovery and hopes that others can learn by her example. So Emma, welcome to the show. Hi, Kara. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation today. I haven't had too many guests on the podcast who like aren't um, like professionals, help yeah. people uh, make peace with food or heal their own relationship with food. So I'm excited to have this conversation with, uh, with you so that we can have like more of a real life example of someone who's like going through the recovery process together. So thank you for being willing to talk about this really vulnerable subject. No, oh, yeah. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm excited. <laughs> totally. So Emma, one of my favorite quotes, which if you've been a listener of this podcast, you've heard it probably 60 times or something, but that is you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down and it has made all of the difference in my life. And that's by Steve Jobs. So Emma, connect the dots for us. Tell us about 
your relationship with your food when you were younger, how it developed into an eating disorder, maybe the role that that might've played in you choosing health and exercise science, if there is a dot there that connects and how you're doing now with recovery. Perfect. All right. So my eating disorder story, I always find difficult when people ask me because for like longer than I thought, I definitely had a poor relationship with food, but never acknowledged it. And I can go all the way back to about when I was about eight. And I remember friends or sisters, friends and people around me making comments about, you know, being an eight year old and um, having abs because I've always been very athletic um, and can put on muscle easy. And I kind of fell into that identity quicker than I thought. Um, and, you know, when you're young, you're a sponge. So I absorbed it without any, you know, prior experience, prior knowledge of what was actually going on around me. So I think starting with that was really the beginning of my poor relationship with food. So, you know, you go into middle school, you go into high school, you're just, it's an awkward stage. It's, you're going through puberty. And then um, with that, now we're dealing with social media. I feel like I was maybe the first generation with Instagram, not sure. Um, but especially with Instagram and just comparing, I definitely fell into a trap because I had no media literacy. I didn't really understand that what people were posting on social media was not necessarily like their entire life. So with that, I became very infatuated with body image and, you know, looking a very certain way, having a skinny physique. And um, it really kind of set me down this path of wanting to obtain it. And I tend to be very, how do, how do I phrase it? Not obsessive, but once I see something I want, I'm going to go get it. So with that, I was like, I want to look like that model um, and I'm going to go get it. But keep in mind, I have nowhere near a body type that could fit that. So that's already a problem. So um, the downfall really hit though when I came to college because I was given freedom to, cho uh, to choose what I ate and what I did with my time. And so, you know, during this time, I was also dealing with my mother being sick and I kind of lost that rock um, because she and I were very, very close. And she was always very aware of my eating habits and I was an athlete and keeping sure that I was staying, you know, in a healthy realm. So when I lost that, along with going to college, I kind of, I didn't really know what to do with myself. And, you know, part of my identity was lost too, because I was so close with my mom. Um, and so. I got to school and it was like, wow, I can eat when I want to eat. I can not eat when I want to eat. I can exercise every day. It was like this whole new world to me. And I just, I like latched onto it because you're in college, you're uncomfortable. You don't really know people. It's really awkward, just like middle school, but a whole new way. So that was when the downhill, the downhill spiral hit. Um, and then when my mom passed away, I just need that, like the need for control heightened. And I spent all summer getting more obsessed with, you know, my weight and how much I was consuming food and how often I could exercise um, just to feel like I had some sort of control in my life. And so when I came in the sophomore year of college, um, there was a lot of red flags that professionals saw. So they brought me in and talked to me and this was kind of taking a toll on my life and kind of taking away the quality of my life because I was thinking so much about it um, and obsessing over it that I just broke down and was like, I, I, need, to, I need to do something about this because I, I knew actually my mom would want me to do something about it, which was a nice motivator for me. 
So then went to treatment um, all of sophomore year and um, now I'm here abroad. So it's, it's been quite a process. I wasn't, I don't consider myself in recovery now, but I, I definitely did very extensive treatment work, you know, food freedom and figuring out what was triggering my unhealthy habits. It's been a long road if we think about it because I'm going back to eight years old, but um, it really hit in college. So that's essentially a quick synopsis of my story. Thank you for sharing with us what this was like for you and, you know, being open about the fact that you have lost a parent. And I can only imagine what that is like. And I could see how having an event like that happen could lead to you wanting to find control in anything. And sometimes food and exercise and controlling our body seems like an easy way to feel grounded or to find a sense of control. And like you had said, which is something really beautiful that came out of something so dark, like losing a parent, was that you felt like your mom would want you to have gone better. She would have wanted yeah. you to take care of her, take care of yourself. Um, yeah. And then you had said that you don't think that you're in recovery anymore. So does that mean that you feel recovered and that you believe in full recovery? I'd love your input on that or where your thoughts are. Um, I say not in, that I'm not in recovery only because I'm not seeing professionals right now. Um, and like, I'm happy to report that my relationship with food and myself is great. I haven't felt like this in a very long time, but I think I just have to be very aware of, um, you know, when I get uncomfortable is when I tend to bring back those habits. So for example, like coming abroad, I, you're automatically uncomfortable because you're in a whole new foreign land and thrown into freshman orientation basically again, which I always hated. And I found myself getting uncomfortable and, you know, start thinking certain thoughts or feeling the need to like go work out more than I know I need to, or felt tired, but still wanted to go exercise and it's just like a check-in and a reminder that, all right, Emma, this isn't necessarily, you know, you trying to eat less or whatever. You're just uncomfortable and you're falling back into what brings you comfort. But now I have better coping mechanisms when it comes to that. So I'm able to switch um, my mindset and focus on, you know, if I'm feeling this discomfort, then... I'm going to, you know, make sure I go hang out with friends versus like not or skip a meal or something like that. If, if that makes any sense. Um, so I do believe in full recovery, but I think especially as I'm still growing um, up and in my 20s, I'm, I'm not worried about where I'm going to head as I get older. But at the same time, I just need to check in with myself more often to make sure I don't fall into those bad habits to reach full recovery. Right. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Like being able to have the tools and the awareness to identify when you're feeling some type of discomfort mm -hmm. or uncomfortable feeling and be able to witness and observe yourself wanting to fall back into those old coping mechanisms and yes. say like, Hey, I have different tools and other more I want to say productive, but that might not be the right word, but maybe other more healthful ways to deal with the discomfort as opposed to potentially spiraling downward back into 
those coping mechanisms that were actually destructive when they took over your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Going for a run is necessarily destructive, right? Like exercise. But you Mm -hmm. can see when, you can distinguish when it's actually becoming something that isn't in alignment with you taking as best care of yourself as possible. Yeah, it's like, it's identifying, you know, if I want to go for a run, is it because I want to burn myself to the ground or is it because I want to move my body? Like I was not able to differentiate those for the longest time um, because I mean, like you said, I'm a health and exercise science major. I understand the health benefits of exercise, but when it comes to a point of it controlling your life and taking away from other beautiful components of what you're doing, then it's not necessarily serving you anymore um, in the way that it should. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the place from which it's coming from always. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we had talked about sort of like behind the scenes, like in Instagram stories was you had said that eating disorders feed on loneliness and it's one of the biggest triggers for you or was one of the biggest triggers for you. So can you share about the loneliness that you felt and perhaps what helped you move through that? Yeah. So I feel like I say, I'm saying this a lot, but loneliness triggers discomfort. I mean, a lot of, at least for me in my treatment, a lot of um, my habits came from the fact that I was uncomfortable with myself, really. Um, and so when I felt lonely, it would trigger that discomfort even more. And that automatically leads to some, the need to control for something, um, at least in my case. So when I felt like I couldn't connect with someone, have a chance to speak about like all of these spiraling thoughts in my head, um, I really felt isolated and uh, very disconnected from everyone around me. And I would just like adopt these mentalities like, oh, no one understands. So I'll just cry my mouth and tough it out. And tough it out was really, you know, kind of abusing myself because I didn't really have that self-respect quite yet. And I can be my worst enemy. So you know, when I was lonely, I wasn't dumping all these thoughts out of my head uh, and letting people in to help. So then going through therapy, you know, it really helped me, one, realize the benefit of journaling, um, which I continue to do every day. And um, also with therapy, like, I, I jumped around therapists a couple of times, but once you found someone that you feel like you had a connection with, it's obviously much easier to open up with. And they, and she really showed me, you know, people want to help and you just kind of have to open that door because they're standing there and they're waiting. But if you don't open that door, they're not going to intrude on your privacy. Um, so it was really kind of bouncing around, um, uh, feeling lonely um, and identifying whether or not I needed to be talking through it with someone or not. Mm, mm-hmm. Right. I definitely think there's that ability to process things on your own and that mm-hmm. can be therapeutic and helpful, right? Like you said, journaling is a great tool. And then especially as women, I think we have the gift of gab. Like I think talking through things yeah. is something that really helps us process and heal, you know? Oh, 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 for sure. I mean, I would always laugh at myself because I feel like I would spend all day just having these conversations in my head about, I don't know, whether or not I should do this or just getting really anxious about all my decisions I had to make in a day. And then I would just, you know, end up opening up to someone and I would walk away feeling like, why did I spend my whole day like just 
like feeding off of my anxiety inside instead of just talking it out because the weight would just lift off my shoulders automatically. I mean, I just forget that we're social creatures <laughs> and I sometimes just want to like tough it out and, you know, figure it out on my own. But I can't really do that all the time because I'm only 20 and I don't really know what I'm doing. Half, you know, <laughs> so it's better if I ask questions and ask for help because I will actually get somewhere if I can be vulnerable, which really has, you know, vulnerability has showed me how much people want to help and how, how I'm really not alone because everyone has their own stories and everyone, you know, is dealing with their own, their own crap. So I don't, I just came to a point of like, why can't we just talk about this? Because I feel better when I talk about it and I'm sure everyone else would probably feel better if they talk about it too. Yeah, 100%. And I think that there's parallels here. So when we're up in our brain fixating about whatever decision we need to do in whatever area of life, we can be like, yeah, that's also kind of what I do around food, fixating on what I should eat and how much I should eat and when I should eat, you know, and mm -hmm. all of the things. And so we can actually see we have like a pattern of behavior. <laughs> and like yeah. once, that, once we distinguish that pattern, we can develop tools and strategies to like have to like break the pattern, you know like oh for, oh for sure and you know I think people also dismiss sometimes you know eating disorders is a mental illness so if you can't communicate like the thoughts that in your head can potentially be harmful and dangerous and they have to get out like whether that's in journaling or whether that's with someone that you trust they're not going to do anything great if they're just sitting in your head and I feel like I, I used to always say like I think a lot all the time and it, I think it's a good thing, but if I can't communicate that with people, then that's when it becomes problematic because I'll psych myself out or start believing something that doesn't really make any sense. It, it may in my head, but when you say it out loud, you're like, what, what the heck? That does not make any sense. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure maybe you've had this experience where it's like, you'll be thinking something in your head. And then as you say it aloud, out loud, you actually be like, oh, oh. God, and you realize what it is that you were worrying about, or you realize it's not what you're like, now that I'm saying it out loud. Okay. Now I know what I want, or I know that sounds ridiculous or like whatever. Oh, oh, for sure. Like, I, I feel like I remember times I would spend like an hour in class like analyzing over what I was going to eat for lunch because you know I wanted this but I knew I should eat that I'm going to use very vague terms um but I would waste an hour of my day analyzing over something so mundane and like that shouldn't be questioned like if I'm hungry I should just go eat what I want to eat and once like I like when I went through therapy and was able to identify how much time I was losing thinking about these like very minuscule thoughts. I was like, what, what am I doing? Like I can spend that hour, you know, building a relationship with someone or solving world issues. I'm talking very big, but then, you know, you know where I'm going with this. Like, why, why am I letting this anxiety um, around food take away from my quality of life? I mean, that's essentially what therapy had helped me realize. Mm. Well, I'd actually love to take that a step deeper and reflectively, now that you've gone through therapy, you've gone through this process, you're in a better space. Why do you think you were quote, wasting time worrying about figuring out what to eat? Oh, I, why do I think that's a very good question. Um, I think I, I was very, okay. I said this earlier. I didn't really have much self-respect 
for myself. Um, that, like I was able to identify that or I'm able to identify that now, um, knowing that I'm in a better place. And I think not understanding my worth or my uh, position in the world led me to, you know, focus on very small things that I would create in my head as this very important task. Um, and I think because I didn't necessarily trust myself or feel that I deserved better, it was um, kind of my only way of feeling like I had a place in the world if I could latch on to these very mundane um, thoughts of deciding what to eat, deciding when to exercise. Like they're very small in this big bubble and world that we're in. But for me, it was, it was all I had. And I, I just, back then it, it was everything that I thought I needed to focus on. Like, I remember thinking, okay, well, this is, this is just how I am. This is just how my life's supposed to be. So we're just going to roll with it versus, you know, stopping and saying, okay, this isn't necessarily healthy. This isn't serving me. So what can I do to change this habit to make sure that I do continue living a life of quality? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was maybe a way to feel safe and comfort within the discomfort that you felt being you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are, I would love to talk a little bit and shift gears about the actual recovery journey for you. Um, what was your experience? Did you encounter any roadblocks or what were the biggest sticking points or places where you felt stuck and what helped you overcome them? Yeah, I think the biggest roadblock for me was the guilt I felt for prioritizing myself over others, which I, I've had this conversation with friends and they kind of laugh at me because they're like, Emma, like, you went through a very traumatic time and I don't understand why you wouldn't, you know, prioritize yourself, but I definitely felt that people wanted something from me. And if I couldn't help them, it was kind of um, looked down upon. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean during just my recovery. I think I kind of grew up feeling like that. And I don't, I'm not sure where I adopt that mentality. We could psychologically dissect it, but we're not going to go there today. But I definitely felt like I owed something to everyone around me, especially those who went through, who were by my side when my mom passed away, because you kind of adopt this thinking of like, well, they were through my side or they were by my side through the worst. So I need to return the favor. And so going through, you know, my healing journey, I, I really struggled with that. And it was very triggering um, because it would kind of bring me back to this place of like disrespect for my body and feeling like I needed to kind of almost punish myself for not being able to serve people. And, and getting over that roadblock really kind of stemmed from therapy, understanding my worth and really working on my confidence, um, like in my body as a human. And it definitely can come and go. Like I know as I get older, I'm going to meet people who can easily trigger that roadblock and maybe, you know, potentially push me down those, those paths again. But I know I worked through therapy with, you know, building my confidence, identifying, you know, what makes me happy and, and 
truly starting to understand that, you know, the people who want to stay in your life are going to stay in your life. And I learned that in both, both realms of, you know, a, like a death in the family alongside going through treatment with mental illness. You really realize who wants to stay and help you and who really wasn't there at all. You may have thought of what like was, but kind of wasn't as close as you thought you were to them. Um, so, I mean, from all that, I mean, I really realized that I can't help others if I can't help myself. So this journey of healing needed to be a priority and I had to let go of, you know, the, the need to please everyone around me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, not to like dive down to the, the rabbit hole, like you said, or psychoanalyzing it, but I recently learned this term called human giver syndrome and it's coined by Emily and Amelia Nagowski, and it describes women who feel exactly the way that you felt, where like they have to please everybody, and they have to take care of everybody's needs first, and they have to hold it together and be of service to others, and it's our society sort of primes us to be that way, and so the sense of guilt that you feel around taking care of yourself or the sense of guilt that you feel around receiving has been like mm-hmm. kind of programmed into us as women and you you basically described human given human giver syndrome (laughs) i didn't even know that was a thing it's not like a i don't think it's like a professional term in the medical literature oh no no it's just a term that they use to describe that phenomenon that you were experiencing where you like felt like you didn't deserve to take care of yourself or you had to take care of other people or you were like a burden to have these problems um those, those types of things that is really interesting. Well, it's funny because like going back to uh, trying to please people or, you know, fit into a certain like stereotype or identity for those around you. I, I definitely also struggle with therapy, believing that I had an issue for a long time. Um, like I would sit and I just remember sitting in therapy sessions and, you know, my therapist would go through like, you know, this is what you're doing. Like, this is what's, you know, not great about it, blah, 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 blah. And I would just sit there and be like, well, you know, if I'm not losing weight, even though, you know, I may be only eating X amount, um, how can you tell me that I have eating disorder? Because for me, I fell for the stigma of eating disorders, you know, anorexic, it's very skinny, it's very like tiny and sickly almost looking, you know, when you look at from media perspective, especially in, in, if you go back to middle school, when I would see those images, you know, these girls are just very small and that's kind of how I identified what eating disorders were so sitting in therapy sessions I'd be like um I haven't lost any weight and I don't think I have an issue so you can't really tell me that I have an eating disorder um but that just you know just shows that I I struggled accepting that I I had an unhealthy relationship with food because accepting it meant that I had to deal with all that pain and discomfort and I I didn't really want to do that at first um, and it also goes to show you that it, eating disorders can show up in so many certain ways. And most people think just anorexia, but you know, like my doctor classified me as atypical anorexia because I was showing all the symptoms, but I wasn't losing weight. And I was just thinking when she told me that, I was like, "This is a bunch of bullcrap." Like I'm fine, you know. I just like to work out a lot and you know try to eat healthy. And I totally would dismiss the fact that what I was doing was taking away my ability to be, you know, the best human that I could be. Um, If that makes sense. I may be just rambling right now, but. 
No, it makes perfect sense. Like one, we, like you said, we think that eating disorders have a look. We think they look a certain yeah. way. One, two, you're like, I'm just exercising and eating healthy. Like what's fucking wrong with that? Our society yeah. exactly. <laughs> left and right for this. Yeah. I was very, I, I, I can be very stubborn and I was very stubborn about it for a while, but that was just because I didn't want to deal with all the emotion that was stirring behind it. Anyway, there was a book that I was recommended to read and it really talked about the emotional connection to like our relationship with food. And after I read that book, I just sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, this has nothing to do with the food. It has everything to do with like my perception of myself and how emotionally like I am processing things in life. And it was just like this big epiphany, light bulb went off. And I was like, oh my gosh, it has nothing to do with the physical like product of food or like how I'm consuming it all comes back to how I'm feeling and what I'm how I'm using food to cope with all of the weird emotional things that we'd never like to deal with yeah 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 that's really powerful for people listening I imagine they can identify with that so, all right. So I'd love to ask you one or two more questions and then kind mm-hmm. of wrap this up. If you have someone who's in the place where you were, who's like not fully ready to admit that they have a problem or they're starting to realize like, yeah, this is actually a bigger issue. And like my trying to just be healthy is actually really disordered. And they're coming to terms with that. And they're considering like, maybe I should get help or get recovery, but they haven't fully done it yet, partly because they were in the same position that you were in. What would you say to them? I would say, listen to your gut. (laughs) Your intuition is your best driver in helping you get through this process. Um, I think if you're having these thoughts, you're already one step ahead because you're taking care of you know, something that may not be serving you anymore and thinking about how, how can I make, how can I improve this? Um, So you're already in that process of, you know, self, self growth, I guess I would say. Um, But I think my best advice would to be hold yourself accountable and not accountable in terms of like, you know, they say like holding accountable to sticking to an exercise routine or holding accountable to being productive with your schoolwork more holding yourself accountable to what's serving you in this moment and what's not and i think the easiest way to do that at least for me was writing it down to get it all out of my head um but i also think it's really important to realize who you're surrounding yourself around um i definitely love to feed into the energy around me and whether who believes it or not like there is something to be said about what people give off, like you can call it the voodoo or I don't know, we can go on many all kinds of terms, but you're going to feed off the energy that you surround yourself by. And if it's very um, negative and just complaints all the time, not very uplifting, you're going to, or you're easily going to step away from the act of getting help because those around you aren't going to see the benefit in seeking help and whatever you're trying to deal with. So I think you have to be able to stop and really listen to yourself and pay attention and observe those around you and figure out what, what are they giving you in terms of, you know, 
positivity and support. And if they're not, then trying to step away from it. And I, I say that advice and it's so much easier said than done because how are you able to identify that stuff? But the biggest step is just let yourself think about it and really kind of tune into what your body and what your mind is thinking um because ultimately your body wants to help you you just have to be able to you know sit with yourself and let its signals and support come out yeah <laughs> i feel I, I say this and i'm like okay but this is really really hard so props to you for even wanting to maybe get help because that that's just the hardest part i think <laughs> Yeah, reaching out for help can definitely be challenging because one, it has you have to admit you have a problem. Two, you have to be vulnerable with another human being. And then three, you mm -hmm. have to start facing your shit. You have to start facing your darkness, right? The shadow mm -hmm. side. And yes, energy is very real, right? You were like, do I want to talk about energy in this like woo-woo side of things? <laughs> yes, energy is contagious. Energy is real. And also your environment will probably almost always win out. So if you're in a toxic environment, hanging out with toxic people, that's going to have a ripple effect into you and how you're showing up in life. Oh, for sure. And like, if you're surrounding yourself by people who, you know, are complaining about them, like their lives or they, they're not doing anything to help themselves and whatever, you know, crap they're dealing with, then of course you're going to feed off of that and think, well, I don't need to take a step forward and seeking a therapist to talk through my relationship with food because everyone around me is not. And they're either like, one, they're going to judge me or two, like they seem fine. So like, I'll be fine. You know, we, we compare and judge each other all the time. And part of it's natural. I mean, we can't really help the fact that we're so, such social creatures, but if you don't create an environment and an atmosphere that is serving you um, socially, then you're never going to be able to find a place within yourself to make that step forward in healing. Yeah. Yeah. Environment matters. I mean, think about plants. You can't just plant, yeah. you can't plant a tree anywhere and expect it to grow, right? The soil matters, the nutrients, the pH, right? Like, is there enough water? Is there enough sunlight? You know, can the root systems expand? Like environment fucking matters for growth. So mm -hmm. I'm really glad that you brought that up. You know, creating an environment conducive to recovery is one of the most helpful things that you can do for yourself on your journey you know oh oh for sure I mean it's I would say like in the top three like one thing like in the top three one of the things that you need to really prioritize because you're never yeah you're never going to be able to grow if people are pulling you down all the time and just be willing to open up to the uncertain and you know people who you may think wouldn't help you maybe the people that do that's happened to me a lot like I barely have talked to friends at school and I would open up about something and we'd spiral into this very deep conversation and I'd walk away thinking I need to be around that person more because they're feeding me much more positive energy and also I've realized I'm very attractive to qualities that I want to possess so like people who you know, are, are confident or, you know, eat when they want to eat or, you know, go eat that cupcake when they want to eat that cupcake. I'm very attracted to that because I want to, I wanted to get to a point where I could do that, where it, it wasn't this ball of anxiety, 
deciding what to eat or when to eat. Mm, yeah, really great to be able to distinguish that within yourself. And I firmly believe that whenever you see something that you admire in someone else, it's a, it's a reflection back to mm -hmm. what's available within you and what's possible for you. So when you see a quality within someone that you aspire, it's, it's just a mirror. It's showing you what's possible for you. And you can only see it if you possess it, you know, if it's in you, it yeah. sometimes yeah. needs to be activated or turned on, you know? Exactly. And if you're around those people who can activate it, then that's only going to help you grow to a point where you have those qualities yeah. or it can, can bring those qualities out. Yes. Uh, Emma, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your insight and being vulnerable with us. Where can everybody find you? Yeah, no, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, they can find me on Instagram at Emma Eklund, um, which is just straight my name. And then I also have a blog, which is Emma G. Eklund, um, E-M-M-A-G-E-C-K-L-I-N. Uh, dot com, which I talk about anything that's on my heart, really. So it's fun. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, the links will be in the show notes for anybody who wants to connect and reach out and learn more for you. But Emma, thank you so much for being with us on the Love Your Bod Pod. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. If you got a lot out of today's episode, will you share it on your Instagram stories or leave a ratings and review on iTunes? That is what really helps keep the podcast going and helps it reach more people and make a difference for those that need to hear this message. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all next week.